Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be joining in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. Actually, it's probably a day or so ago. Um, I'm still working on catching up by God's grace, but um, but we were doing a, a different project, and so there was just a, a lot of um, time that we had to spend on that. So I appreciate your patience with us. In <clears throat> Romans we're reading through this is episode 330, and today I want to cover Romans 9 through 11. <coughs> Excuse me. This section is <coughs> a very special section, and perhaps even one that is misunderstood and um, not really even taught or focused on by some today in the Christian church. <coughs> And yet Paul found it important to bring into his foundational treatise on the faith book, which is the book of Romans. And we need to understand it as part of understanding the foundation of our faith. We need to also understand the church and Israel. And so that's what 9 through 11 deals with. It deals with God's plan for Israel, Paul's desire and his heart for Israel, and how the church and Israel kind of connect. Um, he shows some contrasts, but he also shows some connections between them. And it's very important for, understand, for us to understand this. Some have called this Israelology, so to speak. So it gives us an understanding of Israel, gives us an understanding of the church, and the connection. So let's dig into it. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9, Paul first shares his heart and how deeply he longs for the Jewish people to come to Yeshua, the Savior. He gives honor to the Jewish people and reminds us all of their special and chosen stature. He talks about them being his countrymen according to the flesh. His heart is for them to come to Jesus, to come to Yeshua, the Savior. He talks about how they originally bore a special privilege, and we owe, we do still owe them a debt for several of these things. He speaks about how they had the adoption, the covenant entrance originally, which came about through circumcision under the Abrahamic covenant, and then the glory was revealed to them, the very presence of God in the tabernacle, the covenants were only given to Israel out of all the nations. They had the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. The giving of the law was to the Jewish people. And because of them, we have the words of God, the words of Scripture preserved, and we owe the Jews a debt for that. They gave us the Old Testament. They gave us the writings of the words of God. The service of God was to them. God established them and established in them a priesthood and a priestly service, a sacrificial system, <clears throat> all of which was pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, and all of which was showing us how to approach a holy God and how he longs for covenant with us. He holy, uh, he, he originally, excuse me, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, built the tabernacle of God to begin with, so that it would be a place where he could dwell among us because he wanted to be with his people. 
So that's another one that Paul recognizes now. <clears throat> the promises were given to the nation of Israel through the Abrahamic covenant, which is an eternal covenant with them. The fathers were from Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham, originally Abram, was called out from the Gentiles. So there's always been a Jew and a Gentile connection to some degree. But God established <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the founding fathers of the faith legacy of the line that he was going to uh, speak through and deal with and work through. <clears throat> And then also, Messiah came through the Jewish people. He was born in the flesh through Mary, who was a Jewess of David's line. And he, Yeshua, the Savior, is Lord, eternally blessed God. Praise be to God. And so we read more in here about Paul's heart for the Jewish people. He speaks about how God chose the seed of promise that was continued through Isaac and Jacob. He speaks of um, those that resisted, like Pharaoh resisted, but God was working in spite of that. <clears throat> I love in verse 25 and 26 here of chapter 9, as he says also in Hosea, he talks about how <clears throat> he is called called us out, not just of the Jewish people, but of the Gentiles also. <clears throat> and he speaks of how he called out people that were not his people, and now they are. They were not beloved, but now they are. And he talks about how it will come, come to pass in the same place. And I love that because there's a spiritual application to that, as well as the traditional and the historical and the literal application. There is also a spiritual application because the Lord showed me this a long time ago, that whenever God delivers us from whatever it is, and we, he has healed us completely and made us strong in the spirit in regard to that thing, we're then able in that same place to help other people. For instance, if God has truly delivered someone out of drugs, for instance, out of drugs and, and alcohol and so forth, they don't go back into bars or any of that. We don't recommend that, of course, because God's delivered you from that. You don't put yourself in temptation. But over a course of time, as God builds you up and matures you and you become strong in the spirit, you then are able to minister to other people who are also bound by drugs or by alcohol because of the place that God delivered you from, you can speak their language. You can minister to them in a way that no one else can. And that's what it's talking about here. And what happens then is that God gets all the glory because then you are able to tell people honestly what Jesus did for you and that he can do the same for them and bring them out of that place. So it's in that same place and God receives the glory and people that were not his people are now his people and they get born again. Praise be to God. So it's a beautiful way God does that. He speaks in verses 30 through 33 of chapter 9 of how the Gentiles were saved and the Jews were not as a whole. Now, as a whole, he does speak here about how God has a remnant. Praise be to God. And the early church in its very first days was all Jewish. We have to understand that. 
God did save a remnant, but the Jewish people as a whole had rejected him because they saw Jesus as a rock of offense, a stumbling stone. But yet Jesus called out a remnant. The difference was faith, not works. The Jewish people were still trying to obey the law and, and let their faith let their righteousness be what was based on the law and the works that they did instead of simple faith in Jesus Christ. And that was the difference. So now in chapter 10, he wants to clear up any kind of misunderstanding. Paul's very good about that. He'll, he'll make a case, but then he says, wait a minute, unless you misunderstand me, let me clear this up. And so in 10 and 11, we see him doing that. He makes his case very plain and he lays it all out so that nobody has anything to boast about or to judge about or any of that. So in chapter 10, we see <clears throat> where he says that in verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. In other words, they may have rejected him, but I'm not giving up on Israel. And I don't believe God is either. And we are told in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe here we can take from 10, from Romans chapter 10, verse 1, a way also to pray for them, that all Israel will be saved. And that day is coming. And we're going to see that in this chapter. So we need to pray that they will be saved. He commends them. He says, yes, you have a zeal for God. He says, you do have a zeal for God, but you're, you're seeking to establish it based on your works of righteousness, your own righteousness, and not according to the righteousness of God through your submission to that. And he says in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, you can't do any works of righteousness that will be good enough, but Christ has. He's the end. He was the end goal. He was the whole reason. And all you have to do is submit to his lordship, receive his righteousness that God imputes to those by faith in him. So he's clearing up that for them. <clears throat> and he's helping them understand that Jesus is the completion. He's the only one that fulfilled the whole of the law. And he's the only one whose righteousness we need. Praise God. Then he speaks of how Moses told, told the people. In verse 5, he says, basically, Moses told you, if, you're gonna, if this is going to be the basis of your faith, then you've got to live with it. You've got to live by the law. You've got to live by it. And James tells us later in James chapter 2 that if we're guilty of one point in the law, if we break one thing, we're guilty of all of it. So, you know, Moses was trying to clear that up and help them understand, you know, this is, you're making this the basis of your faith, but yet you cannot accomplish it. You will never be righteous enough. You'll never be able to, to, um, to get the righteousness that you need. And so he's trying to tell them that if you, if you accept this as your basis, then you've got to live with those consequences. However, Paul tells us here in verse 8 through 13, and I want to read this to you. This is beautiful and we need to understand it, that there's a better way. Verse 8, he says this beginning in verse 8, but what does it say? He quotes Moses here. The word is near you in your mouth. And in your heart, he's quoting from Deuteronomy there, that is the word of faith which we preach, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will be will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. <clears throat> for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul lays it out clearly here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he even quotes Moses from Deuteronomy in the Torah. He speaks this way. He's talking about this word in your heart that's near you. That's the word of faith that we preach. He's talking about there how it's near you when God is revealing himself, when he's bringing revelation knowledge to a person so that they can get saved. That revelation knowledge is brought by the Spirit of God through conviction and through explanation and understanding to them. God makes it clear to them. And the response of a person at that point then is to confess with their mouth, agree and give assent to the fact that Jesus is Lord. He was God the Lord come in the flesh. He is ruler and master and we become his subject as he is king and savior. We submit to his lordship over us. And he is a good lord. That's the thing we, we need to understand. That's why we talked yesterday or in the lesson, the last lesson about the bond servant. He's the, he's the master that the servant comes to and says, you're so good to me. I don't want to leave you. I want to serve you forever. So we've submitted to his lordship and said, I willingly submit to your lordship because you're good. You're a good master and I'll serve you all the days of my life. And that's what it's talking about here. You confess and agree to that, that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. In the last lesson, we also talked about how important <clears throat> the resurrection is. It is, in fact, the basis of our faith because it shows that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice as payment in full for all of our sins. And through his resurrection... We are now declared righteous just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Hallelujah. These are what bring salvation to a person. And it doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what your status is, color, race, creed, gender. It does not matter. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord in this saving faith, by confessing and believing, will be saved. Hallelujah, period. And then the good news, tell it to others. Tell others about what you have done and about what God has done for you. Praise God. He goes on next and he talks about the importance of preaching the good news being sent by God. And he even says, in verse 16 and 17, he's talking about how not everybody is going to believe, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? 
So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, by the word of God. And that word for word is the Greek word rhema. Faith comes through hearing, having open ears to hear that written or that spoken word of God, that rhema living word of God that's taken from the logos by the spirit of God and spoken into your heart and sealed into you, soared into you. Hallelujah. That is where faith comes. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then in verse 18 through 21, he talks about how the Jews have heard, but not all of them have had open ears. And he, he talks about how the church, part of our job, part of our responsibility and privilege is to provoke Israel to jealousy because we have a beautiful relationship with God. Now, let me clarify this very quickly. This is in no way, absolutely not, to boast or to judge any Jewish people at all. I am not saying that, and Paul was not saying that. As a matter of fact, he clears that up in chapter 11. But it is to draw them. In other words, to whet their appetite, to show them and to see, and for them to be able to see Jesus through us, see his love, see who he is, see what it means to have a real relationship with God. And some of them see that praise be to God today and many and some still don't. But our job is to help draw them to Jesus. That's what it's talking about here, that we can draw them to the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So he goes on in chapter 11 and he wants to hear again. He's clearing up. He's making sure that he's setting everything aright so that there's no misunderstandings about anything he's saying here. So in verse 1 through 5, he makes this very clear in the beginning of chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. In other words, he is saying God is not done with Israel. He hasn't thrown them away. There's a teaching that you may have heard in the church uh, that has crept in and come, and some people believe it, called um, replacement theology, and it is a doctrine from hell. It is heresy. It is not true. It does not match the word of God. That is not the truth. God has not cast off Israel forever. And Paul makes that clear here in chapter 11 of Romans. But he's saying absolutely not. That is that same strongest negative that we saw yet, uh, yesterday in the lesson, the last lesson in Romans 6 through 8. It is not absolutely period positively not in any way has God cast off Israel. There is a remnant Praise be to God, he had a remnant. Jesus called them uh, to start with, the twelve. Paul and the apostles are part of that remnant, and many in the early church were part of that remnant. Praise be to God, and it's always been about grace, not works. He talks about how blindness has come upon the Jews as a whole, and he quotes why that is, and, and more information about that from Three people that the Jewish people would respect, um, Isaiah, Moses, and David. And so he gives very clearly their, the quotes here that support what he is un, he's trying to help them understand, that there is a blindness on the Jewish people. 
he speaks in verse 11. He says this, <clears throat> I say then, <clears throat> have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, here he is again trying to help us understand that we have a beautiful place to play as the Gentile church because God has seen fit to allow us to be used by the Lord to draw the Jewish people back to himself, those that have not believed in him yet. Praise be to God. God has saved the church and is using the church to draw others, Gentile and Jews, back to himself. And then beginning in verse 12, we begin to see Paul speak of that hope of the salvation of the Jewish people as it will come to pass. Then he starts talking about this tree. He starts talking about this tree that, uh, that the root is in God, but the original tree represents the Jewish people. And the wild olive branches that are grafted in represent the Gentiles who are brought into the faith of Abraham, to the faith that, that the original Jewish um, people brought to us through Abraham and through Messiah, Jesus, who was a Jew. We are now grafted into that olive tree. And there were olive branches because of their rejection of Jesus that were broken off. However, Paul establishes here in Romans 11 that even if the branches were broken off, we can't boast against them. He said, if God didn't spare the original branches, who do you think you are to boast that God's going to spare you? In other words, we need to have a humble, loving spirit and understand that we have been given a privilege, but it is for God's purposes, not for boasting or any of that. We are to be used to help draw people to himself, whether they're Jew or Gentile. And he speaks of how God is going to graft in again those original branches. Now, I believe, beloved friend, that we are living in that day where we are seeing that happen. And it's called by some the Messianic Jewish movement, where God has always had a remnant. He's always had a remnant of Jewish people that believed in him. I believe that. But I believe today we're seeing more and more coming to Jesus. And that is a joyous thing. That is something that we need to, to rejoice with the Father in because the, the lost sons are coming back to him. Hallelujah. And God is saving anybody who will listen and who will call upon him. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. This is that greater glory and blessing that will come to all the earth that Paul talks about here because the Jewish people are now returning to the Lord. So he talks about how their acceptance is going to be even life from the dead, so to speak. And we're seeing that. We're living in those exciting days. Praise God. And so God is grafting in again. Hallelujah. Just like he said here in Romans 11, verse 23, he says this, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And God is doing that. Praise God. And we rejoice in that. He says in verse 25 through 27, that all Israel 
will be saved. He says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. And then he quotes the prophets here, Isaiah and Psalms. Praise be to God and Jeremiah. God is drawing them back and all Israel will be saved again. He establishes again how they are chosen and how those gifts, he says in verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, they, they haven't changed. They are still God's chosen people, always will be God's chosen people. There is a, a still a calling and a specialty there that is not revocable and they have a special place. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and he speaks in verse 31. But God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. In other words, what he's saying here, that's 32, I'm sorry. 31. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. In other words, the privilege of the church is to show the love and truth of God's mercy in Yeshua. And through doing that, God is going to have mercy on all, Jew and Gentile, because he's going to draw people to himself. Hallelujah. Because that's what God is after, is the salvation of everyone. And I just want to end with the way that Paul ends here. And I want to read a little bit of what he says in these last verses as we draw to a close. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Hallelujah. Paul is saying this wisdom, this mystery is so vast and so it, it's so unsearchable. I can't even explain it to you what God has done and how he's using all of this together, the church and the Jewish people, and he's drawing all of them together. And it just caused Paul to just stop and say, this is unsearchable, the wisdom of God. How wonderful, how magnificent is our God. How deep is his wisdom to pull this all together and to have such a wonderful plan. Praise God. Praise God. And I just concur with Paul's words there. Oh, I pray this has been a blessing to you. Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name.